0: KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. I'm Michael Krasny. The coronavirus pandemic has created a collective sense of loss for many people. Summer morning, the deaths of loved ones and shelter-in-place mandates have upended rituals, such as in-person funerals and memorials. And even before the pandemic, many people struggled to process grief. Others find themselves grieving old ways of living or job losses. In light of the changing world, we discuss new ways of grieving and coping with loss. Join us after this news. Thank you. Welcome to This Morning's Forum, I'm Michael Krasny. During the past few months, many common rituals for dealing with grief and loss have been completely disrupted. Family members can no longer hold the hand of a dying loved one in the hospital. Funerals and memorials have migrated online, depriving mourners the chance to give a hug or offer sympathy in person. On top of that, many people are also feeling a deep sense of loss over other aspects of our lives, jobs, social outings, hobbies, vacations, routines that are now gone because of the pandemic. In this hour, we're going to talk with experts about how to take a new approach to grief and loss amid the coronavirus pandemic. Joining us, Dr. B.J. Miller. He's author of A Beginner's Guide to the End and president and counselor of mental health, a palliative care provider. And welcome back to Forum, B.J. Miller. Doctor Miller. Thank you, Michael. Hey, hi.
2: Sorry, it's on mute. Thank you, Michael.
0: Slight here. delay, but we have you, and I'm glad we do. We also have Tony Miles, who's professor of epidemiology and biostatistics at the University of Georgia, and Professor Miles, welcome to the program.
3: You and um, hello. You in, um,
0: okay, uh, we'll also say good morning to Gina Cornfind, who is a pediatric palliative care social worker and bereavement counselor and coordinator at UCLA's Mattel Children's Hospital. Welcome, Gina Cornfind.
4: Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Glad to have all of you. And uh, B.J. Miller, let me begin with you. Uh, you've done so much work on grief. And for many, it's really hard to know how to grief. It presents itself in so many different ways and it isolates. I just like your thoughts now on the lack of social connection in a pandemic. I have a friend who passed recently of COVID-19 and they're going to be doing a virtual funeral today. And I'm not sure what that's going to be like, but I know it doesn't have the same force as the ritual that we go through when we go to a funeral and make contact with people and feel a communal sense of grief. So your thoughts.
2: Well, I'll jump in here, Michael. I mean, I think, I think job one or the first part is what you've just done, which is let's acknowledge this is different. Um, Let's acknowledge that we're in grief at all. I think, one thing to get clear: I think many people think that grief hap- is—you know—you're allowed to grieve when you lose someone close to you. The truth is, you can grieve losses of any kind. As you said, loss of structure, loss of your role, loss of work, loss of relationships, loss of illusions, loss of even bad things can be uh, hurtful or discombobulating. So, let's just just cast the right um, net here. Grief is huge it's tricky stuff. And we're probably all in some amount of it now, whether or not we know anyone who's died.
0: Well, we're also in this uh, conundrum of not being able to say goodbye. In so many instances, people in hospitals who want to see a loved one, I have a loved one back in Ohio, I can't be with her because uh, it's too much of a risk really to get on a plane. And uh, at this point, people are terribly Against these kind of walls, really, uh, and it presents different kinds of losses uh, and losses that are profound. Uh,
2: undeniably true, Michael. Again, I think that the power here is calling it what it is. I mean, you're kind of darned if you do and darned if you don't. Uh, people traveling, it feels almost offensive in some ways to be out in public, potentially spreading the virus. You're kind of hemmed in no matter what you do. I guess I want to make a plug here early in our conversation to say that losing someone, losing things in general is just, is really, is hard. And I wanted to sort of quickly get past one thing. So right now we have more challenges along our way of grief, but I just want to be clear. If you could travel to Ohio, if we could see each other and hold each other's hands in that last breath, things might feel different. But that loss still happens. The grief still happens. The star, the sorrow still happens. So one thing I think we can drive ourselves crazy if we think we're, if only I could have been there, then everything would be okay. Not so. This is one more thing, one more big thing on the pile of stuff that we just can't control. Uh, And again, it's tricky, but it's not entirely, it's not like the world was fine before and now it's not. It's not that simple.
0: And that feeling of control is so important in this, and we'll talk about it. We're talking to Dr. B.J. Miller, author of A Beginner's Guide to the End. I just wanted to ask you, before I bring our other guests into this also, about how you actually gauge progress with grief or loss.
2: Mm. Really hard, because it's not a linear phenomenon. I mean, I think you know, Kubler-Ross did us all a service by unpacking grief in the 60s in big ways. And naming it as a proxy, you know, that there there are proxies to grief, whether it's anger or bargaining or whatever it may be, we all tend to go through a sort of a surreal period where we're feeling all sorts of things. And as you're pointing, it's not a linear phenomenon. It's not like you improve one day to the next and all of a sudden someday you feel magically fine. It's not that easy. So gauging progress is really difficult. I think the name of the game is being where you are and owning that. And you'll find your, that's how you'll find your way through. That's how you'll get through. Not trying to ram yourself into some state of being, of feeling okay when you don't. And grief, grief takes months to years. So let's just manage our expectations a little bit.
0: And let me bring Tony Miles into this. And again, Tony Miles is professor of epidemiology and biostatistics at University of Georgia. And one of the things I was struck by, Professor Miles, that you emphasized, and I think it's important to remember, is The importance uh, in times of grief of kindness and really also of, uh, uh, well, just being true to yourself and being true to the grief as well. Uh, Absolutely.
3: And thank you for uh, inviting me to this forum. Um, What I want to bring into the conversation, all of us talk about grief at an individual level, and that's certainly really important. But one of the things I study as a public health professional is the population level. Impact of grief. There are many more bereaved people Than we would imagine and what happens is we tend to To not see them uh, particularly when we're not bereaved ourselves Uh, I've done work here in Georgia um, and there are million newly bereaved people every year We've been able to connect one one death to the social network around them. So it is really important yes, to be true to yourself and not, and
0: recognize you are not alone. So through that recognition that you're talking about, uh, connect with others, uh, especially those closest with uh, to us and and connect in a way that really subscribes to some notion of love, which can really ameliorate, uh, or at least alleviate to some extent, uh, mm-hmm. and, and help us uh, in times that are troubling and times like uh, we're talking about here. And I'm wondering also about Uh, your thoughts given your public health role um, just in being able to speak more freely, uh, less verboten about death and about loss.
3: Yeah, that's the, that's the thing that will move us all forward is recognizing that we are not alone being able to talk about it. Um, When um, what we've, I went uh, initially. What I did was we started out by asking people in nursing homes what happens when a resident dies, and there are basically two strategies. One person in the nursing, one nursing, one group of nursing homes, puts all the residents in their rooms, closes the door, takes the body out the back door, and pretends that that person really never existed, and they don't bring them up again, which is cruel. The the residents complain about that, and then in the other, the, the sort of opposite. Uh, uh, way of doing it is that person is recognized as a member of the community. They're wheeled out the front door under a special blanket. I call it trip to Valhalla and everybody sort of recognizes and allows themselves the moment of, of release. Uh, And so getting back to the original thing that, that got me here is uh, COVID has disrupted all of that, all of that.
0: But you're able, in the second example, these people are able to go through a ritual, which is so important in grieving.
3: Absolutely. Having um, something that you can hang your hat on, an expectation. And so in the most successful uh, nursing homes, once a year they recognize everyone who's passed. Um, they have a ceremony. This one place uh, does it the Monday after Mother's Day. And they also honor the people who cared for them. Because um, there's always someone else involved in the, in the, I mean, you have bereavement because there's someone else connected to the person who died. And so recognizing that person or those people is really a part of the process. And it, it does need to be routinized.
0: And as long as we're talking about bereavement and losses, and there's so many different kinds of losses, I'm thinking about, things we've talked about here on Forum, like losing graduation ceremonies and proms, uh, losing freedom, losing uh, businesses. People have lost uh, partners, they've lost providers. Uh, I mean, the list just goes on. I'm wondering, as a black woman, what your thoughts are about what's been described as the double pandemic, that is the death of, uh, well, Darren George, of Ahmaud Ahma- 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 Aubrey, uh, but of George Floyd, of Breonna Taylor, uh, the grief of racism uh, and the moral outrage that goes with it. Uh, I was reading an article that you might be familiar with by uh, Kimberly Manning, a black physician who writes for the Journal of Hospital Medicine, a very moving article. And she says uh, that there is this, this moral outrage that sort of connects with grief and ties in with grief in many ways.
3: Uh, absolutely. I mean, what most people need to understand from the start is that you can have two different emotional responses to loss. One of them is the one we sort of think of being sad and and apathetic and immobile. The other one is flat out anger. And I think that's what we're seeing in the streets now, really. Um, the murders of, of black men by police is on top of everything else has just p- pushed all of that out into the surface and people are angry, which is, another manifestation of grief
0: and again we're talking to tony miles professor of epidemiology and biostatistics at the university of georgia and by the way if you would like to join this conversation or talk about how you've experienced loss during the pandemic what rituals help you to cope you can give us a call and we invite you to do that at our toll-free number the number to call 866-733-6786 that's 866-733-6786 and also you can get in touch on twitter and facebook we're at KQED Forum or email. Any questions or comments you might have to forum at kqed.org. We do invite your participation. And let me bring uh, Gina Kornfein into this. Gina Kornfein is pediatric palliative care social worker and bereavement counselor and coordinator at UCLA's Mattel Children's Hospital. And I'd like to <coughs> excuse me begin, uh, Gina Kornfein, by talking to you about what many people say is the worst kind of grief to experience, and that is the loss of a child and Talk, if you would, about ways that people cope when they've lost children.
4: Sure. Um, and it is an honor and privilege to be here because this is an area that we, we need to make our society so much more grief literate, as um, Tony and um, Dr. Say- were saying Um it, You know, the loss of a child is considered to be untimely and unbearable. Um, but I have been doing this work for close to 25, 30 years and can tell you that at the same time, um, these these families do learn to live again just in a very different way. You know, we hear a lot of people talking about the new normal. Um, I'm, I'm here to educate that, you know, the new normal is not very normal. We're all not feeling very normal. It's not normal to wear a mask. It's not normal to, you know, see numbers of deaths um, all over. And yet, at the same time, I was so touched to be asked to be on the show because it's all about education. You know, death is the one thing we all will experience. Um, And I wanted to share that, you know, bereavement means truly to be robbed of. And, wow, is that ever true now for everybody. But for parents who are losing a child, um, a lot of them – say that grief is really just love with no place to go, no nobody to focus on in child. And we, what we do is we help them learn to live again. And one of the most important things I like to say is that one of the most important tasks of grief is to learn how to have a new relationship with the person who died. You know, we, you know years and years and generations ago, people think you take down the pictures, you, you know, kind of don't talk about things. And we know that that's not healthy. Um, We know we want to keep connected to the person who died. So a lot of what we do um, all over the country, and many other cultures do such a better job of it, is that we try to make more beautiful deaths, um, especially with children. And that can lead to a less complicated grief. I think grief is complicated no matter what, but there can be deaths, and one of them is the death of a child that is more complicated and we need to educate more. So, um, I happen to lead a family grief support group, uh, modeled after a wonderful place in our in our nation called the Dougie Center in Portland, Oregon. And by the way, they have incredible resources for everybody um, on coping with loss. But we do a we do an every other um, a twice monthly grief support group, and I will tell you that I have seen people learn to live again. To not only get through the sadness, the despair, um, and the anger, as, as Tony said, the anger, the, the um, really strong feelings that are maybe called negative about this kind of loss, and learn how to have joy and laugh. You would be shocked in our support groups to hear all the laughter. Um, but it's by coming together and by processing and um, allowing each emotion to have its day or time or weeks one of the interesting things that I like to share about the loss of a child is that I think when Americans were polled, how long do you think a person will take in their intense period of grief of losing a child to get back to their pre, um, pre-death you know, uh, ways of living? People said six weeks. Now, we know that people don't ever get back to the pre-ways. Um, they may have um, kind of sometimes new insight on life, but the actually intense period of grief for a parent who loses a child is two to seven years. Um, and then...
0: I think for it some is, it can be a lifetime, despite all the and rec- all the reckoning part. with closure or the mentioning of closure. Absolutely. I think for, some, for many and it just lasts a whole lifetime.
4: Exactly. And it, it is a lifetime, but the intense period, so it's going to take time processing. Um, we do, you know, we. I'm going to share that we do our, we have switched to Zoom debriefings, um, but I, I think that the, the key thing that we're talking about now in the pandemic is that things are different, and people are not able to be together, whether it's beginning with the funeral, actually at the bedside to say goodbye, then it's the funeral or memorial, and then after, and so, and then because everybody has these multiple losses themselves, whether it's, you know, different types of losses of jobs, of um, life as they knew it, they're not checking in on the grieving folks as much. And so, you know, I've had a lot of people in our group, our support group and in our hospital saying, you know, I, I feel unbalanced. I'm not, I'm not getting any more support. Um, So that's another reality. And And I know
0: the work that you've done also brings in ritual. And I wanted to mention that because even taking handprints and EKGs and videos of testimonials have helped people to some degree. And we're talking about the necessity to help people through the grieving process. And we're also talking about loss in general. And ritual fits in uh, very much to this. I want to bring a caller in and remind you that you can join us with your thoughts or with any questions you might have by calling in at 866-733-6786. Again, that's 866-733-6786, or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook, or at KQED Forum, or email us, forum at kqed.org. Let me bring Emily on. Emily, join us. Good morning, you're on the air.
4: Uh, Thank you for this
1: conversation. Um, I'm still grieving the loss of my son, who was born prematurely and did not survive about two years ago and wanted to share a book that was gifted to me that has been very helpful called The Wild Edge of Sorrow by Frances uh, Weller, I believe. And um, it treats grief as work and recognizes the real importance of ritual. And the reason I pass this book along to others who are bereaved is that there's a quote in it that really has always stuck with me um, since working through a lot of the grief that those who go deeply into their grief come back carrying medicine for the world, and I have found that to be true. Well,
0: I, I, if you I, really I'm do sorry. the work,
4: you can show up for other people. Yes.
0: Yes. Yeah. No, I, I know you're being affected by this emotionally, and I'm sorry that you're going through this. But I am grateful for your expressing yourself, and thank you for that. I know what you're going through is hard, and let me go back to you, if I could, Dr. B. J. Miller. Let's talk about really the sense of letting that emotion out, uh, which we're hearing from this caller, it's in in many ways, it's very difficult to verbalize because the emotion goes so deep and it's so profound.
2: Well, sure is. I mean, thank you, Emily, for your call and for kind of living the point with us. You know, it is here we are trying with, you know, detached talking heads to putting all this to words. But of course, this stuff's in the body. And this stuff, this there aren't <clears throat> language is really incapable of describing this stuff. So just to name that, um, but I think what Emily's pointing to is what feels so right to me is if you go kind of kicking and screaming and drag through grief by your heels, um, you know you, you you'll miss out on a lot because one of the things that's happening, why it's so painful, I think is your capacity to feel is being blown up. And if you stick with it and if you roll with it, if you tend to yourself, and as you pointed out a moment ago, Michael, that love is at the root of grief. We we, we hurt when we lose something because we love them. If we didn't care, it wouldn't hurt so much. So keeping that in mind, so you're not so repelled by the way you feel, you're not so turned off by your own sensations, roll with them, dig into them, Because it's a ride. It's a surreal ride and the world will look different. You're altered. And I I believe part of what's happening there is if you let it, it's really expanding your capacity to feel. And to Emily's point, quoting Francis Weller, you know, you can come through the other side larger in ways, you know, and that makes you, then you live on with this loss integrated into your life and you're living the point like Emily's doing. And then others bounce off of you when those next inevitable losses come, whether they're your own or people you care for. And they can see in your eye, they can just feel you, that they know that you're on their side, that they know you're there. They know someone's, someone's been through this. They're not actually as alone as they feel. So I think that's the opportunity in grief, one of them anyway, is to expand our capacity to feel and to love
0: And I thank Emily for that call. You don't want to, let me go back to Professor Miles for a moment here because we're coming up on a grief and Tony Miles, you've worked with people. uh, Dr. Miller mentions the body, uh, there's a mortality rate that can be actually uh, indexed as a result of grief. Uh, People do affect their bodies. It it can hurt them uh, in, in, in so many ways physically. I just wanted to talk about navigating grief with you. It's important not to suppress it, but and important to feel, but you can be overwhelmed by it. It can take you under. Could you say something about that, Tony Miles?
3: Oh, sure. Um, uh, As a public health person, what I'm always looking for is not only to raise the awareness that this is an issue. and, And I mean, we know from the work that we've done that people are more likely to die themselves. They're more likely to have an overnight hospital stay Because whatever they were managing becomes completely unstable, or they're more likely, this is people over the age of 50, more likely to to have excess doctor visits using healthcare appropriately, but they're sick. Grief makes you sick. And so, what we've also done, because in public health we try and fix stuff, um, is look for resilience builders.
0: Let me ask you to hold that for a moment. I want to uh, go to a break. We have to go to a break, but when we return, we'll hear more from you and we'll hear more from Gina Kornfein and our listeners. We're also going to talk with uh, an author. Stay tuned. I'm Michael Krasny. You're listening to Forum. on Michael Krasny. We're talking with experts about how to take a new approach to grief and loss amid the coronavirus pandemic. And... Uh, We were talking to Tony Miles, who uh, I think, believe, uh, at one point said, uh, if it's not illegal or fattening or immoral, uh, you should probably try to find some pleasure and joy as best you can in the wake of grief. But you were talking about resiliency, Professor Miles. I'd like to go back to that, ways to build up resiliency.
3: Yeah, um, that, uh, we looked at all kinds, there's subsets, academics, of course, like to label things. And there's this thing called mastery. And mastery of health is one of those things that protects us from the ravages of bereavement. I like the word bereavement because that's where you are as an individual. Um, And the thing that we have found, oddly enough, that, that reduces the risk of mortality, overnight hospital stays, excess healthcare utilization is mild physical activity. So if you can get up off the couch walk around. And it's also something that you're, you don't have to be a healthcare professional to help someone else with. It is a strategy that you can use to help someone that you know and care about through their bereavement. And so um, it is, it's nice to, to recognize there a lot that there's bereavement out there, but there are strategies that we can do to overcome it.
0: It's good to hear. And I thank you for mentioning just the importance again of the physical and all this. Uh, let me go back to uh, Gina Cornfine, who's a palliative uh, pediatric palliative care social worker and bereavement counselor and coordinator for UCLA's Mattel Children's Hospital. And uh, I'm wondering, again, what you have to say about this whole notion of closure, if you could, Gina Cornfine, because so many people use that word and bandy it about. And uh, it seems to me that suffering mutates, uh, it can diminish, it can be integrated. But as I said earlier, um, there may be an illusion that you're going to put all this behind you when it can come back in different waves and different forms, even when you can deal with it, master it even, be resilient about it.
4: Right. I, I, I'm not sure I believe in the word closure with grief and bereavement. I think that grief as um, is lifelong. I think it, it morphs, it ebbs and flows. There's, uh, there's tremendous opportunity for what we call post-traumatic grief, growth and you know, showing up and doing the work and going through this. But, and and there, I think in between you know grief surges, there's, there are times of breaks for families. But as one of our families, one of our moms says, whose daughter died about 12 years ago, she can be back there in a heartbeat in the raw part of grief. She just knows how to bounce back now. She knows what tools she needs. But in terms of closure, No, I think actually grievers and parent grievers don't want, uh, they they fear when they start forgetting things or forgetting the smell, the voice, they want to keep those things close and sometimes they're not sure if that's not quote unquote normal. And we say embrace it all, you know, it's all normal. One mom buys souvenirs for her child's room, um, whatever she would have liked when they go on a trip. That's how they keep this child a part of their family. Um, there are no there are no sometimes rules there 's permission to do whatever feels right to you in grief um, it's that 's the tough part is that there isn 't a delineated pathway or guidelines um, so it's it is really about being creative and um, we 've done a lot of that in the hospital where I work. we do um, a lot of music therapy and music at the end of life and grief we have and I think This is something we're seeing in the pandemic. I call it a pandemic positive, if there are any, where um, loved ones in adult COVID units are asking um, staff to play Frank Frank Sinatra, for example. There's a lot of Sinatra playing in units. It leaves family members with a better feeling when you hear that your loved one had music playing or had um, your FaceTime video recorded. So there are a lot of things we can do.
0: You're kind of creating new rituals, really, uh, with music. Absolutely. And, and and that can be done, obviously, with poetry. That can be done with humor. That can be done with so many things. And uh, The
4: heartbeat recordings, the EKG, the EKG strips printed out and put in a bottle, um, you know, spiritual care, social work, um, child life therapists, art therapists. Um, physicians are doing this. You know, it's, it's really the creative juices start flowing. And um, it's, you know, and I want to speak back to our caller um, about – how important it is um, to realize that by leaning in you can learn to help others and that shows you how far you've come in your work and then you learn from them as well so it's it's really important um, to try to find a community that you can be part of where you can feel surrounded by like-minded people who and are I'm grieving. so glad
0: you mentioned helping others because there's a lot of data that shows that uh, grieving can be to some extent, uh, allayed or or allied, I should say, by actually helping others and extending oneself. Let me bring another caller on here. I wanna go to Emma next. Emma, join us, you're on the air. Welcome.
5: Hi there, thanks so much for having me. This means a lot. Um, I just wanted to share a story about, and it kind of speaks to the creating new rituals amongst the pandemic. Um, I lost my father a couple months ago to terminal pancreatic cancer. And I think dying of cancer sucks enough, but then you add the fact that there's a global pandemic happening, and so people couldn't come to the house and see him, um, and we didn't really get to have that experience with all of his friends and family. Um, And it was really hard for everyone, and I think especially him. And so we actually, um, my brother and I, organized like a Zoom call with everyone from his life, from like childhood all the way through, um, his coworkers currently, and um, we had like 70 people on the call, um, and each person, we gave them like a 5 minutes to share a quick story, um, and it was just the most incredible experience. So I just hope um, maybe if somebody's listening to this that knows they're going to lose someone and they have that journey. Um, that- you know, opportunity to do something similar to that. I think it was a really incredible experience and it let my dad kind of know how much everyone has cared for him and and how much we're all, we were all going to miss him.
0: And I'm so sorry for your loss and I'm glad that you had at least that positive experience in the, in the zoom ritual. In fact, uh, here's a listener who says my cousin died two weeks ago. I convened some family members from various States and in Mexico over zoom To pray a rosary for him it was clearly not the same as coming together in person but i felt as if it gave everyone an outlet to express our collective grief we prayed we cried we laughed our cousin commented that it was nice to hear everyone praying in unison you don't need the official events to do something meaningful it's okay to take initiative this gets back to what we were hearing before from gina cornfine about creativity and let me bring leslie gray streeter into this discussion she's the author of a book called black widow Subtitled a sad funny journey through grief for people who normally avoid books with words like journey in the title and welcome Leslie Grace Streeter.
6: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Glad to have you and also should mention that your book is a memoir about your husband dying five years ago and you're becoming a widow and talking about how to balance that in your life. uh, The book actually. uh, brings with it a kind of loss because uh, the cruel irony is you're writing about grief and uh you weren't really able to talk about the book and public events in this pandemic and needed to sort of acknowledge that i know in the grand scheme of things that probably seems in many people's minds to not be a great loss compared to losing a loved one but it, it was a loss and we're talking here broadly about losses and uh i want to go right to the to the core of your book here if i could uh how do you get okay. well you you i'm actually going to quote you for a moment you Talk about swimming with grief as like being in a pool. You had to swim in, you didn't know how deep or how to get to the other side, but you knew you had to do the swimming. How do you actually make yourself go forward in that pool and do that swimming? How do you get into your own discomfort?
6: I think the first thing you have to realize is that you have to do it. I, I refer to it in the book as a you put your toe in and then you realize that you haven't even put like your whole foot in, you're not at your ankle, then you're, you're at your, your knee joint and you haven't even gotten the part where you submerge yourself and it's cold and it sucks and you still haven't gone anywhere. And you look across the pool and you don't even see where the end of it is or if there is an end or if the end will keep um, regenerating. Um, I think what I had to do was notice that in my life I had, I felt like I had to do it. I had a young child um, who was not quite two and my husband died. Um, I still had a rent rent to pay and car payments to pay and all these things to do. And even though it felt sometimes I could not make myself move one foot into that pool, I kind of had to because there was no one else to do it because I was a widow and there was no one else to do it for me. Um, I, I think just sort of the, reality of it, even though I knew it was going to suck. That was sort of my motivation because I didn't feel like I had a choice.
0: So the necessity again is acknowledging your feelings and simply somehow getting to the other side as best you can or whatever that other side may be.
6: Oh, and it's going to suck. It's no, it's not pretty. There are no like pre-made strokes. You might go, I'm just going to float here for a while and hope like somebody pushes me a little bit forward you just kind of have to get there you know um and there's no the one of the most important things there was to me and to other people that I've spoken to about the subject is that there's no timeline that so many so much of our expectations about our mourning and our grief is external and people are saying well shouldn't you be okay by now or they misunderstand that the stages of grief are supposed to be in order and succession, and that you don't just like flop back into one or you might never get to another. So other people are watching you expecting it to be okay. So you stop being the weird person at parties and bringing everybody down, Um, you know, but you have to acknowledge that this is your journey and your grief and you have no idea how it's going to be because you've never been in this particular grief. Even though my father died in 2012, my grief for him was completely different than what I went through with Scott dying. And it will be when other subsequent losses happen because unfortunately, they come and they do happen. Um, Your grief is your own. And yes, other people share it because they're in your life, but you cannot make your grief fit into their box.
0: Talking again with Leslie Grace Streeter, her book is called Black Widow, a sad, funny journey through grief for people who normally avoid books with words like journey in the title and black is in the title. And I have to ask you the question I asked (laughs) Professor Miles, Uh, is grief, some say grief is different for black people. And you can't be monolithic, obviously, but what are your thoughts on that?
6: grief is different. I mean, I think that if you look at different Black people, even their grief is different based on, are they religious? Are they part of a faith community? Where do they live? Is it regional? Um, We came up with the title because I had like 87 titles that weren't funny. And finally I said Black Widow. They said, oh, that's good. Um, So it's basically that, yes, I acknowledge that in my part of the Black community as a person who was raised Baptist um, in Baltimore, which is Sometimes considered South, sometimes not, but certainly South adjacent. Mourning was a certain type of thing. Um, Resilience as a Black woman is expected for us. So there is that thing that's put on us as Black women that we are supposed to be strong for everyone and take all that and believe Black women and blah, blah, blah. But no one necessarily thinks about what we need because we're so, so busy both in the self imposed strength being strong for everyone else. And I think other women can do that too, but I know certainly that's something that is a part of at least my uh, Black American experience as a woman. Um, so I, I can't say that it's better or different. My mother lost my father; they'd been married for 40 something years, so that was different than my husband, who we've been married for five years. Um, but we're both Black, and we both there were some similarities in that, including the stoicness, the stoicism that is is cast on us. I think as women and as black women, particularly in this culture. Um, So yeah, I think there are some certainly some differences with that.
0: Leslie Grace Streeter, I'm sorry for your loss. I congratulate you on your book and I thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's Leslie Grace Streeter, her book is called Black Widow. Let me bring another caller on Janine joins us from Vallejo. Janine, welcome, you're on the air.
1: Hi, um, I was first, um, thank you for having the show. Um, I lost my partner of 12 years to um, complications from type one diabetes um, to almost two months ago. And um, I just wanted to call in to say that um, something that I really noticed in a profound way was initially in in the initial days after, you know, the outpouring of support from, you know, loved ones and friends and family is tremendous. And it's quite frankly um, overwhelming. And, and there was, what am I trying to say? Um, It really, it dries up really quickly though. And I know people, you know, have their lives to live and um, everyone's busy, but especially right now with so much social isolation, um, I think it's really helpful to remember to check in. If you have people in your life that have lost someone important to them during this time to keep checking in on them. Um, Especially if it's someone that lives alone, um, Sorry. <laughs> um,
0: I'm sorry. Just,
1: uh, <laughs> thanks. Because um, there was a part of me as I was as I was experiencing that outpouring of support in the initial days afterwards, there was a part of me that wished I could have, like, parsed it out <laughs> more over time um, because it's still needed even, you know, as you get further away from the the date.
0: I'm, um, I'm so and, s- yeah. sorry for your loss, but, you know, what you've just offered is really uh Uh, a kind of compensation and uh, a good deal of empathy i think it will help people listening and i thank you for that and again sorry very sorry for your loss let me uh bring some questions in that listeners are emailing uh here's barbara who says recently i'm finding myself feeling survivor's guilt i watched my neighborhood small business fold and people moving out i'm watching news reports about people dying who are younger than me and uh let's talk for a moment with you, B.J. Miller, about survivor's guilt. It's real.
2: Oh, sure it is. Boy, we find, we find ways to feel guilty one way or another. Um, it'd be interesting to think if, if the person who wrote in that question or that comment uh, acknowledges, I wonder if that survivor's guilt is a kind of grief here. Again, I think this grief, under the rubric of grief, you can feel all sorts of things. And guilt's a pretty common one. So I wonder if your call, if the caller um, would be open to sort of framing that survivor's guilt per se as, as grief, just her feeling the loss of whatever's going on around her in her neighborhood, etc. Um, that may offer a different sort of way to f- to look at her own feelings. So, but but bottom line is, I think guilt. This is going to be a quick tangent. I have over the years I've noticed how hard it is for us myself included I don't know if it's American thing or what but to feel just plain sad I I it's like why well, I don't know why that is because sadness has a warmth to it there's a it's all right. there's a plenty to be sad about but for some of us a lot of us we can't tolerate it so we turn it to guilt very often. I remember one guy I was talking to at a, at a conference who had lost his mother years p- before and had to make a series of decisions on her behalf. But her mother, his mother had laid out everything just right in her advanced directive. The son didn't have to guess at anything. Um, and it went as well as could humanly go. And here he was years later, still feeling guilty that somehow he didn't do anything to save his mother when he did absolutely everything. But he hung on to that feeling of guilt because I think it, it was for him grief. It was he couldn't tolerate just missing her. He had to feel bad about feeling bad. And I just, I don't know that that's what's going on with whoever asked this question, but it's just worth noting, um, maybe guilt is this front. I wonder what's behind it.
0: Well, I'm gonna actually go back to Tony Miles with this whole notion of guilt for a moment and ask you, Professor Miles, uh, a question that has been submitted to us uh, by email from a listener named Amir who writes, I lost my 89 year old mother due to dementia and COVID-19. I experienced her last days and even the time of her passing via FaceTime How can one separate the feeling of guilt from grief where you haven't had a chance to be with a loved one because of the restrictions during these times?
3: Well, one of the ways I've heard from people who have actually gone through that experience as well is that you need the support of other people. They help you with that guilt. I mean, my my husband's mother died in 2016 and he, he felt like I didn't do enough and it took, called us the three muses uh me um our next her next door neighbor and another friend of ours and the three of us i mean surrounded him with our white light uh and basically it helped him to see you did everything that was humanly possible and i think now we're four years out he's at least able to not be overwhelmed by that guilt but that it takes a village to help you with your grief. Tony
0: Miles again is professor of epidemiology and biostatistics at the University of Georgia. And Gina Kornfeld, I want to go back to you with a question from a listener. Uh, and this listener reads, uh, her name is Vida. I experienced considerable loss as a child and feel it's marked me lifelong. My loss was not attended to as the focus was on adults around me. Children don't understand. She'll get over it. Would you say something about children's loss and grief, both in the short and long term? Can you respond to Vida?
4: Sure. Um, What a a great um, question. First of all, I want to premise by saying it's never too late to revisit a loss that was a long time ago, even if it was 30 years, because a lot of people were not afforded that opportunity. So being able to possibly go into counseling um, and looking at that, it is never too late, and it if not dealt with, it does come up whether we want whether we know it or not and I, I think going back to um, what some of our um, guests were saying it 's a very physical thing it 's going to show up in our bodies. Um, children are amazing with grief because unlike adults, they know how to compartmentalize and they don't have as much abstract thought and, and desire to kind of feel like it's disenfranchised, they should put it somewhere else. So they process feelings, and then they go out on the playground, as we know, when we play, or they go in their room, and they have a moment, then they come back out, what's for dinner? You know, and and that's a great role modeling, because as adults, sometimes we need to compartmentalize as well, take a break from the active grief, um, because it's always going to be there. But children, um, they need healthy role models. They need outlets. They need, um, we have a support group for our grieving siblings. They are amazingly in touch with grief. Um, sometimes adults need to know, start small, developmentally, you know, asking them not a lot but a little and see where they're at. Um, you know, what, what do you think is happening? What, we don't know what, what they understand at different stages. So we want to meet them where, where they're at. Um, they a- answer their questions. Be honest. Honesty is really important. Um, you be the ones, if you want to share your faith um, faith base with them about how you make um, understanding of the loss, and giving them opportunities with artwork, with playing games. Sometimes it's like you-, you talk about with teenagers talking in the car. Things come out a lot, but being able to talk about it Showing them that a lot of our families think, I don't want to cry in front of my kids. It's so important that we raise kids these days feeling more comfortable with emotion. And we call it big feelings. You know, sometimes mommy has big feelings. I'm sad. I miss your sister. We miss. We have a parent who talks about saying we, so it's not like you're putting this child who died uh, separate. We're all in a family together. We're all going to grieve together.
0: Maybe this is all good way. advice, and I appreciate uh, that coming from you with all your experience in pediatric palliative care. And I want to bring another caller on. Barbara?
6: Sure.
0: Barbara, join us. Yes. Hi, Barbara. Hello. You're here. Good morning.
6: Yes. I experienced two deaths in the family, close
3: family, in the last year, And, of course, I'm hunkered down here uh, a whole continent away, and I'm having a very, very, very hard time processing it, partly because of family circumstances. The daughter was a suicide that I knew was going to happen for years, and the mother was almost 100. But I'm still feeling very, very guilty about other people in the family, that we are having a hard time getting together to process
0: it, uh, Barbara. I'm so sorry for the pain you're experiencing. Uh, as I said earlier, BJ Miller's had a lot of experience. BJ Miller, help us here.
2: Yeah, it's just so darn hard. And if I understand, Barbara, you—if I understand your 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 point here, there's, there's a feeling of guilt that you that you ha- that you have to be away from each other, that you can't be together. If if I heard correctly. Yes. Okay, well, I think one of these, you know, guilt had come up a moment ago, and there's a sort of self-recrimination that happens, how we point these guns back on ourselves. So this one thing that seems obvious, but we should probably say it out loud is, it's not your fault. There's nothing you can do here, Barbara. Um, You are stuck. And weaving together a narrative around loss always, always involves Uh, including things that you just can't control and this is a big one that you can't control but you can't control it so I just be careful when you point when you start feeling that that gun pointing at yourself this is just hard it's just sad and I think the way to handle it find ways to share with your family whether it's on the phone or letter writing can be such an exquisitely beautiful thing especially these days. That's a good idea. Yeah, something about the aesthetic, the paper, the analog, the feel, you know, help you get, get out of your head and into your body. It may be a small thing, but I would, I'd try writing letters and then that that's a keepsake. It's a touchstone. And then you've ritualized it and you've gotten it, that feeling sort of off your chest and onto the paper. I'm not saying that's just going to make everything magically better, but that's one idea. But I think most, first and foremost, Barbara, please be careful. You didn't, you've done nothing wrong here.
0: Barbara I hope you'll take that advice and I hope you will get through this and I thank you for the call. I'm going to read some comments that are coming in uh, and some of them are very appropriate to the whole discussion. Lynn writes there's a lack of understanding about the grief people feel when they lose a friend. We talk about the loss of a spouse or a parent or child but the loss of a friend gets swept under the rug treated as if the loss of a friend isn't as bad as the others and in an age of more single people and people who have formed their own families through friendship We need to give space for that grief as well. Thank you for that, Lynn, and I can attest to that. I've lost a lot of friends in the last few years. Jessica writes, death is not the only reason people grieve. The end of my marriage initiated a long period of enormous grief. I'm certain that the death of my husband would have been far easier for me than his betrayal and sudden exit from the long life we'd we'd shared for many reasons, but among them the fact that people did not gather around me with offers of support in the wake of the breakup, as I am certain they would have if my husband had died. And Ross writes, I thought about how the gravity of extreme loss and the transformation of the grieving process during the pandemic may be contributing to people not taking the pandemic seriously, resulting in the refusal or protesting CDC recommendations of mask wearing and social distancing. What do you think about that, Tony Miles, that makes sense to you, Professor Miles? Yes, absolutely. Um, That's what I was talking about,
3: anger, grief can be sadness or it can be anger, and that anger can be directed outward or at oneself, um, which is one of the reasons suicide is such a, a risky thing within the throes of grief. So absolutely, absolutely.
0: And here's somebody, uh, we've got very little time left here, precious time, Gina Cornfine. but T- Tarina writes, my daughter has a life-threatening illness, and we've lived with anticipatory grief for over 10 years. It feels like we are all exploring that now. Can you say something about anticipatory grief before we conclude
4: sure um i think that when people are living with a a life-limiting illness there it's just a series of losses all along the way from diagnosis and knowing that the ground beneath them is shaky so there's there's all you're always waiting for the next shoe to drop it's very debilitating um and i think it's very real and i think now that we have this collective feeling of grief where we're seeing we're hearing on the news um Sometimes we're even becoming desensitized to it. I heard someone say, someone said, there's only 56 deaths in Ventura County out here in California. Only 56 deaths? One death is more than enough when you know what grief is like. So, um, you know, I'm sorry I'm going to have to come
0: in here uh, and interrupt you because we're coming to the end of the program, but I just wanted to give some well ideas that have come down the pike here. Reach out to other people and exercise and know grief is like the weather. It comes and it goes. And uh, also spiritual... Help can be really feeding yourself, feeding yourself in any positive way with inspiration or wisdom can help eat well, sleep well, and reach out and help others. Uh, let me thank all my guests, Tony Miles, Gina Cornfind, and B.J. Miller, and remind you that Forum is produced by Judy Campbell, Tina Lauberg, Ariana Prail, Bianca Torres, and Susan Britton. Senior Editor is Dan Zoll, and our Engineer is Danny Bringer. Intern is Jamison Weiss. Executive Editor is Ethan toven Lindsay, and our Chief Content Officer is Holly Kernan. Thank you for being a part of this morning's program. I'm Michael Krasny.
4: Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation.
3: This is Barbara Leslie, President of the Oakland Port Commission.